Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome out to River Ridge. Uh, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in the middle of this series that we've called Road Trip. And for the summer, we're spending some time with Jesus and eavesdropping in, peering in on some crucial conversations that he had with some folks along the road. And along the way, we're going to learn some stuff about ourselves as well. And sometimes if you follow the teachings of Jesus, sometimes his teachings are, are real easy. They're real easy to accept. They're sweet to hear. And other times it's like you step out of a dark room into the blinding light. And our first inclination when we hear some of the, the teachings and the truths of Jesus is to run back into the darkness, back to where it's comfortable, back to where we feel like it's safe. But it's these teachings that if we will stand in the light and let our eyes adjust to what he's teaching us, that we can find a whole new perspective on how to live this life. Today, we're going to look at a story about a guy who had it all. And what he found in his encounter with Jesus was something he wasn't even looking for. And it was something that he didn't know about himself until he met Jesus. But in that moment, instead of embracing the light, instead of standing in the light, he ran away. And he missed out on an opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 18. If you want to turn there, we'll get there in just a few minutes. Uh, this is a story that's commonly known as Jesus and the rich young ruler. This guy has it all. He has degrees from all the right places. He wears tailored togas. He drives around in the nicest chariot. He has everything. He has this portfolio of investments that puts him up in the 1% of the world. He has all the wealth that he can think of. And while he has amassed all of this wealth, he's still young. He still has his life ahead of him. He still has the opportunities ahead of him. He has his looks. He has his health. He has his energy. And he's got power and influence. What he wants, he gets. You got problems, he has solutions. He has a plan for his life and he has all the means available to him to actually make it happen. He's the poster child of the American dream, if you think about it. In a lot of ways, he represents what we long for the most in our lives. Rich, young, ruler, is there anything that you desire in your life, anything that you want in your life, any goal that you have for your life that doesn't fall into one of those three categories? I'd be hard-pressed to find something, wouldn't it? Rich, our possessions, our wealth, the stuff that we have, the stuff that we want but don't yet have. Young, our bodies, our looks, our sexuality, our youthfulness, our health. Ruler, our status our reputation, our influence. There is nothing that I desire in this life that does not fit into one of those three categories. So what I want us to know right from the very beginning is that his story is our story. This is a story about us. So here's this guy, and he's not necessarily following Jesus. He's not a disciple of his, but he's heard of him. He's heard of his reputation. Maybe he's seen some of the miracles. And he had this burning question in his life that no one could quite get the answer to him that he wanted. My guess is that this is a question that he went wherever he went. He found somebody, some teacher of the day, and asked this the same, this same question. So he finds Jesus one day, and he poses this question. We'll, find, we'll pick up in verse 18 of Luke 18. It says, a certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
So you, you kind of get a glimpse of this guy. He's like, uh, no need for chit-chat here. I have things to do, places to be. Let's just cut to the chase. What do I need to do? Keyword, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's a guy who wanted to know that when he died that he would spend eternity with God and he had some uncertainty about that. He felt like he was doing a lot of the right things, but when he laid his head down on the pillow at night, he didn't have peace. He didn't have assurance that he'd actually earned a spot in heaven. So he goes to Jesus and says, okay, I've been doing all this thing. Is there one last thing that you can tell me to do so that I know, that I can know that I know that I have a place for me in heaven? He thought that he could get eternal life the same way that he got everything else in his life, by his power, by his influence. So he said, what must I do? What is the break-even point for me to know that I'm right with God? And before Jesus answers him, though, he, he stops and he makes a quick correction to his thinking. In verse 19, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So Jesus begins by saying, I think that you have a misunderstanding of what it means to be good. And Jesus is not saying that he's not good. He's not saying, why do you call me good? I, Jesus, I, I'm not good. No, what he's saying is, why are you walking up to somebody that you think is just a normal human rabbi and calling him good? There is a flaw in your whole idea of what it means to be good. You think that there are these shades of goodness from really bad to kind of bad to all right to kind of good to really good. And you think it's all based on what you do, but in God's economy, it's something completely different. He has two categories. There's either sinless or sinner. And Jesus is saying that the only person in the sinless category, the only one that is truly good is God. You, you call me good, but only God is good. Unless you think that I'm God. I think there's this long, awkward pause. Are, are you trying to make a connection between me and God? And he goes on at that point in verse 20. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the guy says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And so Jesus starts to answer his question and his answer was intended to make this guy wince, to, for him to squirm a little bit. So Jesus looks at him and says, okay, you, you, wanna, you wanna do something? All you have to do is to keep all the commandments perfectly. And he starts listing the commandments. And what was meant to make this guy feel the weight of how he fell short of God's plan only emboldens him. And this guy gets frustrated and he interrupts Jesus and says, hey, 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 okay, you don't have to list the 10 commandments. I know them, I've, I've kept them since I was a boy. What, what else do you have? And I think Jesus looks at this sincere but blind and clueless guy, this guy who was asking the wrong question, and his heart goes out to him. He's not angry with him. He's not going to berate him. Jesus realizes that this guy has built his entire life around his stuff. And he's about to give him the answer that he's looking for and to give him the opportunity of a lifetime. And so in verse 22, Jesus says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. And at this point, I think the guy gets his pencil and paper out and he says, okay, tell me what it is. Is it one thing, that's all, I thought you were gonna give me a list of a thousand things, but one thing I can do that and I'm gonna do it better than anybody else you've ever seen. Lay it on me. And Jesus answers, Sell everything you have 
and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come, follow me. Go sell everything you have. And I don't think the guy wrote that down. I think he's going, no, wait, what? Then I want you to, to give it to the poor. Still not writing. And then Jesus says, then come and follow me. He looks at this guy and he says, you want eternal life. I'm going to give you the answer. Eternal life is not found in rules. It's, based, it's not based on what you do. It's found only in a relationship. I, the son of God, am personally inviting you into a relationship with me. Come, follow me. And in following me, you're going to discover that eternal life is not a destination someday. That eternal life is about a relationship. He's telling this guy and he's telling us more than anything in this world, God wants a relationship with you that's based on love and loyalty and followship. So Jesus looks at him and says, come follow me and you will have the eternal life that you're looking for. But here's what I know about you, young man. Your primary loyalty in this life is right here. It's in your money. And in order for you to connect with me in the way that you need to, I'm going to have to disconnect you from these, this primary loyalty in your life. Here's your idol. Here's the thing that you are devoting your entire life to, and it's keeping you from what you say that you want. So, so liquidate your, your wealth. Stop chasing after money and lifestyle and power and position and come follow me and you will have the eternal life that you're looking for. And the next verse reveals this guy's response. Verse 23 says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And in that instant, he discovered something about himself. He discovered that his primary ambition in life was not to inherit eternal life or to have a relationship with God. His primary ambition in life was to stay in this seat of control where he could be the ruler over his own life. There was actually something more, that, there was something that he wanted more than the eternal life that he said that he wanted. And in that moment, he discovered that his stuff owned him. His stuff owned him to the degree that he said no to God and he went away sad. He said no to God because of money. Jesus shared this uncomfortable truth with him and he, and he shined a spotlight on this young man's idol, but it was too much for him to handle. So he ran away, back into the darkness, back into the shadows, back to what he was comfortable with. And he said, yes to comfort and no to a calling to follow after Jesus. He missed out on experiencing life with Jesus. And I wonder if later on in his life, if he didn't look back at this time with a sense of regret. I mean, to think about what Jesus was calling him to, the same language that he used with Matthew and Peter and others, come follow me. He had an opportunity to be part of the inner circle. He could have been one of the guys that we named our kids after, Matthew, Luke, and Richie, or whatever his name was. But he missed out on an opportunity of a lifetime because he couldn't let go of this idol in his life. Here's why we have this passage in our Bibles. We all have things in our lives that are competing for our loyalty and our following after Jesus. The Christian life is a series of Jesus saying, come follow me. 
Come to a deeper relationship with me. Come with a deeper sense of faith and boldness on this journey that I have for your life. And if we haven't dealt with these idols in our lives, they will hold us back. They will cause us to hesitate or to run away from an opportunity to follow after Jesus. So with our time together, I want to give us an opportunity to see if we can identify, to self-identify some of those idols that might be competing for our affection and following after Jesus. If you're taking notes, I think one of the things for us to understand is that the idols in our lives are often good things that become God things, little g God things. Idolatry is really when you take anything and you place it above God in your life. And the problem is, is that you can take good things, money, work, sex, relationships, but you can turn them into an idol for your life where it is your ultimate devotion. Idols are often good things that are just prioritized in the wrong place. So how can we tell these things that are good in our lives? How can we tell whether or not they have been elevated from a good thing to a God thing, to a place of an idol? It really comes down to how you worship. And here is a working definition of worship. Worship is what we treasure and pursue most with our energy and our passion. We are by nature a worshiping people. We can't help it. We all treasure something in our lives above everything else and we worship it. We give it our devotion to someone or something and we sacrifice for it. We sacrifice our time, our energy, our money, our emotional well-being, sometimes even our families to pursue these things in our lives. We are all looking for the good life, the blessed life somewhere. So the question is not if we have an idol problem. That, that's a given. John Cal Calvin, this famous theologian, said one time that the human heart is an idol factory. So the question is not if we have an idol problem. The question is which one do we wrestle with the most that, has the, that is the biggest rival for God in our lives? How can we find out which one it is? Because we all have one. And this passage forces us to ask the question, whose am I really? What thing, what person, what goal, what position in my life am I pursuing with more energy and more passion than my relationship with Christ? It's a priority question. So here's what I want us to do. I, we're going to take a little quiz together. In your notes, or maybe if you don't have notes, you want to write it down on a blank piece of paper that you have. I want you to write down five wannabe idols that are trying to vie for our attention, trying to vie for our affection in this life. And I want to ask a series of questions to see if it can help you identify which of these or maybe some others that are um, the biggest rival for God in your life. First is money. Anyone surprised that this one made the list? Now, because money wants to be more than money in our lives. It wants to be a source of security, the source of security, the source of status. This is a big one. And it competes for our time and our attention like nothing else. In the pursuit of money, in the pursuit of more and a better lifestyle can interfere with our loyalty and our ability to follow after Jesus with our lives. That's why roughly 25% of Jesus' teaching is about finances and wealth and money. 
And here's the thing about money is that you don't have to be rich for money to be an idol in your life. You, you can be poor and be just as obsessed with money and accumulating more in your life. You're always scheming on how you can make money quicker or have more in the bank and you're not generous with what you currently have in your life. So you don't have to be rich for money to be an idol in your life. Or maybe it's success. And that can be at work or, or even at school. Right? I know at times in, in the late high school years, students can get their identities all wrapped up in their GPAs and where they rank in their class. And that doesn't stop after you graduate and start off into the work world. We can get obsessed even in the work world with promotions and titles and moving up the ladder. And this is, this is, a, this is one for, for me in particular where um, our jobs are these good things, but it's also what we want to be known for. This is where I find my sense of value. This is where my reputation is based on. As a man, this is where I've given my gifts and my talents to. And so much of my ego comes from how I do my job. Am I good at it? Do I get pats on the back? Do people recognize what I'm doing? I love this job. I love the gifts that he has given me. But I have to ask the question, why sometimes? Do, do I love the gift more than the giver of the gift? What we do. The success that we chase after uh, in the workplace can become an idol in our lives. Or relationships. A, a relationship can become a kind of idol if we elevate it to the wrong place in our lives. It, there can become this clinging attachment to some people in our lives. We, we exist for the approval of others. In our day and age, we, we call that codependency. But in the Bible, they would call that idolatry. It's where we end up putting a person's thoughts about us or approval of us above what God thinks about us and what he says about us. And it's easy to get our identity all wrapped up in a dating relationship or in a marriage or in the idea of being a parent to kids. How about pleasure? It, it's possible to pursue a life that is centered around only self-gratification. Could be food. It could be drinking. It could be pursuing some kind of sexual thrill. In our day and age, again, we, we would use the term addiction, but it's the same thing. And these things can consume our lives and make a train wreck and completely control us. And then in your notes, I left a blank space there. So maybe in your own life, you think, well, I, I think there's a couple other things that I might write down. Maybe it's reputation or maybe it's your looks or attractiveness. Something that you can think of that you think, that might be a problem. So now I'm going to ask, you a ask us a series of questions. And all I want you to do is to put a quick tick mark beside the one that you think that it applies to the most. This is kind of going to be a diagnostic test for us. The first question is this. What do I think about the most? What is it that I daydream about? If I have a few moments to think about something, what is it that my mind immediately goes to? What, what are some of the biggest goals that you have in your life? What is it that you spend your time planning for the most? The next question is, what affects my emotions the most? And specifically, what I would say is, what is it that makes me sad or most fearful when it gets threatened? When I begin to imagine that this thing is gone in my life, that's the one that raises my fear, raises my anxiety. 
See, here's a fundamental truth about idols. We don't know that we have an idol until it gets threatened. As long as life is going well, I don't think that I have an idol problem. Because it's safe, it's secure, no one's messing with it. But if there is the prospect of losing it, if there is the prospect that it is getting threatened in some way, then all of a sudden I have this anger, this fear, this anxiety, that there's an uptick of anxiety in my life. You see, it was the fear of losing his wealth that allowed the rich young ruler to know that his wealth was his idol. So what is it for you? And then the third question is, what gives me the biggest sense of identity? Which one makes you feel that because I have this or because I am this, I feel like I am somebody? Which of these is the one that I want to be most known for? The fourth one kind of hits home for those of us that are church folks. Uh, What do I try to manipulate God to get? Do you ever find yourself bartering with God? Where you come to God in prayer and say, okay, God, listen, I've been faithful. I've gone to church the last four weeks and now you need to come through by fill in the blank. What, what is it that you put in that blank? God, I've served, I've given. Now send me that spouse. I, I shouldn't still be single. I, I'm faithfully following after you. Give me that promotion. Give me a, a better business. If you find yourself trying to barter with God in some way, you may have found a potential idol in your life. And then the last one, what do I spend the most time pursuing? Which one of these do my efforts and my energies revolve around the most? Because we will end up sacrificing our energy and our time towards our ultimate priority. So which do I sacrifice the most for? Okay, now now hand your paper to the person beside of you and we're going to correct your answers. (laughs) Kidding, kidding, kidding. Take a look at it because what what you may see there is your primary rival for God in your life. We all have one. And again, the the tricky part about this list in particular is that these are good things. None of these are inherently wrong. These happen to be the things that we end up being the most passionate about. And because we are, we can find ourselves holding them with a tight fist and not wanting to give them up, which means that I need to be careful. I need to be careful that these good things that God puts in my life don't become elevated to a little G God thing in my life. And here's why this is important for us. Idols, the pursuit of idols, have the power to force us to waste our one and only life. And they can cost us the very purpose that God has for our lives. The the life that God has for us is only found in following him. I was made to worship, to love, and to follow after the things of God. And idols will whisper, you don't really need to do that. You need to follow me instead. And all of us at points in our lives will have these defining moments where God will come to us and ask us to take a bold step of following him. Come, follow me down this new path. And in those moments, we will discover whose we really are. Because if in those moments you find yourself hesitating, you find yourself pushing back, cringing, wrestling with God, here's what you'll know. Perhaps these good things have 
more of a priority in your life than you thought. Perhaps your stuff owns you. Perhaps your relationship rules your life and you will discover, God, I, I say that you're important in my life, but you are not the priority in my life. And you won't know that until Jesus says, hey, come follow me. God wants to use us in his kingdom and he will continually open up doors of opportunity for us to walk through and to follow him into a deeper walk. But the choice is ours. And so the point today is a simple one. Whatever is between you and following after Jesus, you need to get rid of it. And for some of us this morning, we've been confronted with a very uncomfortable truth. And it's a defining moment because now we know. God has shined a spotlight on your life and perhaps revealed something that is controlling you more than you ever thought that it was or that you want. Whatever it is, would you not run away? Because that's the temptation. The temptation is to push it aside and say, I'll deal with that later. Or this just makes me uncomfortable. I think I'm going to go run and hide from this. I don't want to stand out here because it's uncomfortable. But would you instead be willing to just stand in the spotlight? Let it just get all over you in the coming days and weeks. And let your eyes get adjusted to this new truth, a new way of walking through this life. And will you instead begin to embrace this and go to God and say, you know, the truth is that this thing, this good thing that you have given me, it's become a much bigger part of my life than I ever thought that it would. Would you change that in me? Jesus is still, to this day, inviting people to give up, their, give up their idols, give up those things that are wooing them away from him and to instead come and follow him. He loves you enough to allow you to see what maybe you didn't want to see. But then he gives you the power, gives us the power, gives us the option to make some changes. Maybe for you, it's just some priority changes. You recognize that there are some things that just need to be knocked down a few rungs on the ladder, that they're fine to pursue, but they can't be your ultimate pursuit in life. Maybe the help that you need is a little bit deeper than that. Maybe you need to go and ask for some help in overcoming an addiction in your life. But now that you know, we have to wrestle with this question. Whose are you really? And what are you willing to do about it? Let me pray for us. God, this is one of those teachings, one of those encounters where we get to peer in and it, it makes us uncomfortable. Because if we're honest, we, we realize that his story is our story. That in this culture that we live in, his life is the, the idealized version of the American dream that we are invited to through marketing and through just the culture we live in to give our lives to. And so God, this hits home for us. And it's a hard truth. 
And we recognize and confess that our first inclination is to tuck tail and run. But God, would you give us the, the courage to not do that? To sit and recognize that this is an act of your love. You don't want us wasting our lives and just throwing our time away. God, you, you want to use us for a grander purpose. And so you shine the light on oftentimes the biggest rival of yours in our lives. And God, we confess that as we look at our lives, we all have them. So now God, help us. Help us to have the courage to walk towards it. Help us to have the courage to have some hard conversations with people that, that love us, that can, that can help us. To confess that not only to you, but to some others that, that can come alongside of us and help us make sure our priorities line up with what we say. God, that we want our lives to be one of following after you, where we are nimble enough to say, all right, God, you're calling me over here. I'm going to go. And I'm not going to hold on with a tight fist to some of these gifts that you have given me, but I will live my life with an open hand so that I can chase after this life, this full life that you promise. God, thank you for not just leaving us to our own devices, but that you speak this truth into our lives. Thank you for the grace that allows us to change. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. Have a good one.